We want to uh, go in our Bibles tonight to the book of James, chapter 3. Hebrews, James, chapter 3. And even though this scripture that I'm going to uh, refer to tonight specifically uh, speaks about the tongue, uh, that will not be my subject tonight. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man or a mature man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. I, I prefer the, uh, the authorized version of that. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. All of us need to be and want to be impressed. We need to be inspired by something great, something large, something big on a grand scale. Now, I've never had the privilege of going to Mount Everest. But if you want to talk about mountains, that's the granddaddy of them all, isn't it? That is the highest point on earth. Five and a half miles what a magnificent mountain Everest is. Highly impressive. I have great admiration for those who climb it. Relatively speaking, out of the world's population, very, very few people has been able to climb and get to the top. What a view it must be from the top of the roof of the whole world. And yet, there is a mountain in Mars that is 14 miles high. Can you imagine that? <laughs> The base of it is as big as France, Olympus Mons. Now that would be impressive. The only trouble is you couldn't go to see it. You would die if you're going on that journey. The Niagara Falls, I have seen that. I have stood at the Niagara Falls, and, and some of you in here has stood at it too. And to hear that mighty roar uh, as those uh, waters flood over the Horseshoe Falls and... Uh, uh, just it's magnificent just to see. Grand Canyon. I've only ever flown over it high up in an airplane. Didn't really get a good look at it. But I know there's been some in here. In fact, there's a couple not so long ago who took a helicopter right over the Grand Canyon. That would be something, wouldn't it? And it is highly impressive. And yet again, on Mars, there's a canyon that is ten times longer than the Grand Canyon. It was stretched from the east coast of America to the west coast of America. And it's seven times wider and four times deeper. Yonggi Cho's church in South Korea is just unimaginable, the scale that it is on. Uh, I remember one time a pastor that Pastor Dick and I met many years ago and he said that he was with a group of pastors and they were touring in South Korea 
uh, and he came to Yonggi Cho's church and they were the guests for that particular day. And he said that I was the one that was nominated uh, to open in prayer in front of 32,000 people. <laughs> and that was just one service out of about a dozen that day. <laughs> they have so many, they have so many coming to the church that you're only allowed to go to your church once a month if you're a member so that everybody can at least get. Now that's impressive, isn't it? I was thinking this week about some of the great servants of the Lord. And I was thinking about C.H. Spurgeon. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon, you know, he started out just as a young man. He started preaching when he was 19. And within a few short years, he got the biggest church in London. And he says, he, it says here he preached uh, as a Baptist pastor in London from 1854 to 1891. 38 years ministry in one place. He died at the age of 57. His collected sermons fill 63 volumes, equivalent to the 27th volume, 9th edition of the Cyclopaedia Britannica, and stands as the largest set of books by a single author in the history of Christianity. He read six serious books a week and could remember what was in them and where. He read Pilgrim's Progress more than 100 times. He added 14,460 people to his church membership and did almost all of the membership interviews himself. He could look out on a congregation of 5,000. That was his average congregation. He could look out at a congregation of 5,000 and name the members. He founded pastors' colleges and trained almost 900 men during his pastorate. Spurgeon once said that he counted as many as eight sets of thoughts that passed through his mind at the same time while he was preaching. <laughs> he often prayed for his people during the very sermon he was preaching to them. He could preach for 40 minutes at 140 words a minute from a small sheet of notes that he'd worked up the night before. The result, more than 25,000 copies of his sermons were sold each week in 20 languages and someone was converted every week through his written sermons. Spurgeon was married, had two sons who became pastors. His wife was an invalid almost all of her life and rarely heard him preach. He founded an orphanage, edited a magazine, produced more than 140 books, responded to 50, sorry, responded to 500 letters a week and often preached 10 times in a week in various churches as well as his own. He suffered from gout, rheumatism and Bright's disease and in the last 20 years of his ministry he was so sick that he missed a third of his Sundays at his church. Now that is impressive. In fact, when you're a preacher and you read that, you just want to give up. You just want to put the Bible in the bookshelf and say, I give up. <laughs> but he is a unique man, of course. Not many like him, obviously. And so, the trouble is, though, that while it's good to be inspired and while it's good to look at the grand and the glorious and see the thing in a massive big scale, the trouble with that is that oftentimes it makes us feel like grasshoppers. And perhaps it would make us feel, who are we? What can we accomplish? But behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. So don't be discouraged. Let not our smallness, your smallness, let it not discourage because it can kindle a great fire. 
You and I may be just a little fire in the great scheme of things, but we can kindle a great matter. We read there that a great ship is steered by a very small helm. Horse needs only a tiny bit. Gunpowder needs only a spark. <coughs> Big doors swing on small hinges, don't they? And great oaks from little acorns grow. Boys, what an encouragement. You don't have to turn to this, but in the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, Zechariah prophesied, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? Living Bible puts that last phrase this way. Do not despise this small beginning. Now the reason why Zechariah said that was this. That this was the rebuilding of Solomon's temple. And it was taking a long time. And they were getting very, very discouraged. And it, it was bearing no resemblance to the glory and the grandeur of the original. And even though they worked hard, but they were getting so discouraged, it didn't look as if they were ever going to finish it. And even if they did finish it, what would it look like in comparison to what they had? It was a small thing in comparison. But God says, do not despise the day of small things. Do not despise this small beginning. Zechariah 4, 6, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by our great efforts, not by any other authority other than God himself, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In Job Chapter 8, verse 7 says, Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. So I want to encourage us tonight that there are times, and there's going to be times, when you will look at yourself and you will wonder, what am I? Who am I? What difference could I possibly make to anybody, anywhere, to anything? Do you ever feel that? One or two of you. I felt that many times. But Christ has plenty to say about little things. Little congregations where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. Sally and I was, a couple of weeks ago, we were driving around Donegal but a few days off midweek and we just had a long drive and just looking at the scenery, it was beautiful and we came across lots of little churches who had little congregations in the middle of nowhere, out in the wilds as we would say. And I said to Sally, I wonder what it would be like being the minister there. I wonder what it would be like. I wonder how different that would be. Maybe with a dozen people way out in the middle of the mountains. More sheep than people. And yet there was a church. There was a witness. 
There was a testimony. There was a Christian church in the midst of all of that there. It was right there. And God had a purpose and a plan for it. Jesus talked about little lives, didn't he? He says, don't harm one of my little ones. He who harms one of these little ones, it would be better for him if a millstone was tied around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. Little lives. Hardly nobody notices. But they count with a big God, don't they? Jesus talked about little gifts. The woman with the two mates. Two mates. Two of the smallest little coins. And yet Jesus picked her out and highly commended her because she gave all that she had. Five loaves and two little fishes. What are they among so many? <laughs> well, they were a lot in the end, weren't they? Fed 5,000, probably 10,000 more actually. When the women and children are counted. Little kindness as he talked about. Whoever gives one of these a cup of cold water in my name shall not lose the reward. A cup of cold water? A little kindness? It goes a long way with God, doesn't it? Actually, often it goes a long way with us, isn't it? Sometimes it's the little thoughtful things that people do that, that impress us the most, isn't it? Sometimes it's not the big gift, but it's just a little thoughtful thing that they do that makes you feel, she thought about me, he thought about me, they thought about me. Little details of life. The sparrow that falls. Are not two sparrows sold for one farthing? Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? You get one thrown in. And yet not one of them falls except our Father sees it. Do you ever wonder where all the dead birds go? Must be millions of them die all the time. Where do they go? You rarely see them except an odd one knocked down in the street. But, but God sees them. Sees every spar that falls. Counts every single hair of your head. Counts them. Some of us, that wouldn't be too hard. <laughs> Clifford has no idea in the world who I'm talking about. Hasn't got a clue. Whenever Clifford and I started out together, I was about three stone lighter, and he had black hair. A lot more of it. <laughs> and God has counted every single one of them. Isn't that amazing? That Almighty God, the creator of the universe, would be so interested in you that he would count every single hair of your head. And then sometimes we have the stupidity to say God doesn't care about us. He doesn't know about my problem. Really? Every day you get up, he knows the many hairs is on your head. He's counted the ones that are still on your pillow. 
Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. It's amazing what God can do with the little you've got, isn't it? Did you ever hear of John Stoppitz? Do you know who he is? Probably not one in a million could tell you who John Stoppitz is. But I guarantee every single one of us has heard about Martin Luther. John Stoppitz was the monk that led him to Christ. Hmm. A man that hardly anybody would ever know or ever hear his name. And yet he led a man to Christ that shaped the whole history of Europe. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. A young boy had come to his Sunday school classes and he got very concerned about his soul. And one day the Lord put a burden on his heart for him. This young 15-year-old boy. Who had started work as a shoe clerk in a Boston shoe shop. And Edward Kimball that afternoon he walked to the shoe shop and he looked in the window and he saw him. And he thought, I need to talk to him about his soul, but there was people in the shop, so he walked on past, and then he came back again. He looked in again, and he was on his own. So he took courage in hand, and he went in, called him aside, says, young man, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about your soul's salvation. Let me tell you about giving your life to Christ and living for him. And right there and then, that young 15-year-old boy accepted Christ as his Savior. And before that young 15-year-old boy's life was over, he had preached to over 100 million people around this world. His name was D.L. Moody. Sunday school teacher, but until I told you his name, you never would have known but we've heard of D.L. Moody. He's got a great Bible college to this day. <coughs> Moody Publishing. Moody Church. One hundreds of thousands to Christ. But it all started with just a Sunday school teacher with a burden in his heart for a 15-year-old boy. It was a cold January Sunday, was blowing a blizzard. And just a handful of people, about a dozen or so, was able to make it to that little Wesleyan chapel in Colchester and Artillery Street. Pastor couldn't make it. And so they deliberated, what are we going to do? Weather was foul, it was getting worse. There's no preacher here, but we're here. And so an elder by the name of John Aglin, he says, well, we've got to say something. So he opened his Bible. Let me tell you what he said. He opened his Bible at Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. Here's what he said. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. 
and not being a preacher, that was all he said. He stopped. Couldn't think of anything else. But at least the word had been spoken that morning. And so they hurriedly decided, because the weather was so bad, that they would go home. But little did they know that another young man, who because of the blizzard, darted into that church that morning, hadn't intended to go there. And he heard that one scripture, and right there and then, he gave his heart to Jesus. And that young man was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He became the greatest preacher in the English-speaking world. It all started with one elder in one little church sharing one scripture. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. And this is why I, I, I encourage Sunday school teachers especially. Because they never know who they've got under their care for those few short years. You never know. Never know Ethna. Jillian. Never know who might come out of that Sunday school and turn the world upside down. You never know. Mordecai Ham was an old American evangelist. He was invited to a city in America, put up his tent and to preach, and he did. One of the services, two young men walked down the middle aisle of the tent, right to the front, to give their lives to Christ. One was a tall, skinny young man. Billy Graham was his name. And nobody in that tent knew that that night, one of the great evangelists the world has ever seen had walked down the aisle. It's amazing, isn't it? How just a little thing can make such a big difference. All little fires, but oh, what great matters they kindled for God. What is your little fire this evening? Because we've all got one at least. Maybe it's your faith. Say, David, my faith's not very big. That's what I mean. Maybe it's just little faith. Mustard seed faith. Jesus talked to Matthew 17 and Matthew 13. He talked about faith like a mustard seed. Smallest of all of the seeds. I searched high up and low down this afternoon in my study to bring you a mustard seed tonight and I couldn't find them. The gentleman gave me, I don't know, maybe a hundred of them in a bag. Nicely a nice little thingamajig. Can't think of the name for it. <laughs> and there's a mustard seed right in it. And I was going to give you one tonight, but I couldn't find it. Not a shame. I will find it some of these days. Sally's sitting thinking, if you saw his study, you would understand why he could not find it. I know that's exactly what she's thinking. <laughs> Needle on a high stack. But I will find it and I will give it to you someday, next time I see it.
Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. It talks about the seed corn, how it grows. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. There's a process goes on. So don't despise your little faith. Even though it's just like a mustard seed. Jesus said you could move mountains with it. Now it would be wonderful if our faith was great. <laughs> Exceedingly great. But even if it's just a mustard seed, it's still faith. An ounce of gold is still gold. A ton of gold would be better, but an ounce of gold is still gold, isn't it? And faith is still faith. And so you say, well, I don't have much of it, but you've got it. If you're a believer, you've got it, because God has given to every one of us the measure of faith. How do we increase it? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Hearing this word, trusting this word, doing this word, our faith then increases. Maybe your little fire tonight is maybe your prayers. Say, David, my prayers are quite small. Well, let's look at 1 Samuel. And uh, chapter 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, the son of Jeoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zolf. An Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And also, also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Whenever the time came from Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb. An arrival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting by the, on the seat by the door of the post of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. 
Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, not forget your maidservant, but will give, me, give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Doesn't sound like much of a prayer, does it? In fact, the priest didn't even think she was praying. If you read on, he thought she was drunk. Of course, he'd watched his two drunken sons for long enough to recognize it. But in this instance, he was greatly mistaken. But it didn't look much, did it? A woman sitting in the corner, crying, big tears rolling down her cheeks, and her lips moving, but no words spoken. Casual onlooker looking at her like Eli would think, there's not much in that. That's not a great big loud flowery prayer. No oratorial skills in that prayer. But it was a prayer that God heard. It was a prayer that God heard from heaven. And God had waited and waited and waited a long time to get her to this place where she made that vow. Because Samuel, the little prophet, was to be born. It didn't seem much of a prayer, did it? But behold how great a matter a little prayer kindled. <laughs> One of the greatest prophets that Israel ever knew was a result of that little prayer in the house of the Lord that day. And that little woman sitting in the corner crying. And she was about to change Israel forever. Samuel, you know, was the one who started the schools of the prophets. <laughs> would be continued along the lines, of course, Elijah and Elisha. But it was Samuel. Not much of a prayer it seems. But God heard it in heaven. And what a great matter that little prayer kindled. She was faithful in her prayers. Year after year she prayed. She was fervent in her prayers. She wept. How long is it since any of us wept tears when we prayed? You tend to cry when you're desperate, don't you? Don't you? When you're really desperate, you tend to cry. This woman was desperate. She was very focused in her prayers. There was one thing that she wanted above all. And she became famous for her prayer, didn't she? So it didn't seem like much on the surface. But boy, what a difference that made. What a difference it made spiritually. You know, the whole priesthood was about to pass away. God was going to raise up a new order and he had to have a baby born to do it. And this was the woman that was going to be her baby. And that, what we would call an unspoken prayer, God heard it. God heard it. So don't despise sometimes when you feel, well, I'm, I'm not much of a prayer, but, but I mean what I pray. I'm serious about what I pray. 
but I'm, I'm not very skilled, you know what I mean? I couldn't stand up in front of this gathering tonight and, and publicly pray because I just, I would get all flustered and I wouldn't know what to say and I would sit down and I would be embarrassed. And, but in my private prayers, I mean what I pray. I, I believe what I pray. That's the prayers that God hears. May not be much in the eyes of men, but behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. In Acts chapter 10, here's another man was praying. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave alms generally to the, generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now here's a man that has come from a very pagan background. Don't know how long he's been in Israel, but something of the, the whole idea of being one God, one true and living God, had obviously captured this man's heart. And he prayed to that one God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Ah, ha, <laughs> ha. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. Your prayers and your alms have come up before God. A despised Roman, but because he had begun to worship, not fully understanding or knowing who this great one God was, he found that he became a generous benefactor to the Jewish people. And God says, not only has your alms come up before me, but your prayers has come up before me. Don't know what the prayers were, but they come up before God. And God then told him what to do. To go and find Peter. Long story short, Remember how when they found Peter, how he was up on that roof, Simon the Tanner's house? And how God had to give him that vision of that great sheet with all those creepy crawlies on it that it wasn't, he was forbidden to eat? Because now God was going to introduce him to the Gentiles. Do you know this is eight to ten years after Pentecost? This is almost a decade after Pentecost. And the church hasn't reached out to the Gentiles. As far as they were concerned, it was to the Jew. Not even to the Jew first, but to the Jew. That was it. But God's plan was bigger and broader. It was for the whole world. And God chose this one man, Cornelius, a Roman centurion, who prayed privately 
because he wouldn't be going into the temple or the synagogue, I'm sure. But prayed privately. Whatever he prayed, we don't know, but God heard it. And God said, this is the man. This is the one. And God was about to change the whole shape of the church forever. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. And little did that man know that day when he was on his knees praying that God was going to use him to shake up the church and for the Gentile world to be reached. And you and I are the recipients and the blessings of that man's prayers. Because if Peter and the rest of them had, had their way, they never ever would have reached out to the Gentiles. In fact, God had to give them that vision of the, that big sheet with all those creepy crawlies that he couldn't eat to let them know that which I call clean, don't you call that unclean? So that he would accept the Gentiles. You know, Peter would never even enter a Gentile house. Wouldn't have done it to save his life. It would have felt unclean. But God had to shake him up. Had to shake the whole church up. And it all began with a Roman centurion praying. Hmm. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. And so maybe your faith, maybe your prayers doesn't seem much. Be encouraged. Use your faith. Keep praying. God hears. God sees. And God answers. Maybe it's your practical help. Maybe you say, well, I'm not much good at many things, but I, I, could, I could give a hand. I could volunteer. I could roll my sleeves up and get stuck into something. Something physical, something practical. Well, that's what those four men thought about their friend who was crippled. They heard Jesus was in the house and they came. And they got there. It was too late because the place was crowded inside and outside. Couldn't get near the house. So they battled their way through, climbed up on the roof, tore the roof up and lowered him down. And Jesus healed him. How practical is that? Just a little thing, isn't it? Didn't seem very spiritual, did it? Turn up a roof. <laughs> but it broke up the whole meeting, didn't it? It stopped the whole meeting in its tracks. And Jesus healed that man. What a mighty miracle that was. Wouldn't you love to be there that day? Wouldn't you love to be in that house and all of a sudden all those branches and leaves are all getting ripped up? You thought, what in the world is going on? What's happening up there? And then here's this man getting lowered down in this pallet. And everybody would stand back. And Jesus would raise him up. Must have been some rejoicing in the house that day. And so, maybe just a little. Luke 8, 1 to 3 says, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, who ministered unto Christ of their substance. Whatever that substance may be, financially, clothes, food, raiment, whatever it may be, they decided we'll minister unto Christ. We'll do it in a practical way. So much of God's work is practical. 
really is. So much has to be done practically. And if it wasn't done, our churches would be the poorer for it. Now I know that you think Johnny Northey, he just swans in here on Monday and he just fiddles about in that computer and he lazes about and he has his coffee and then he goes out around to the, the wee restaurant around the corner here and he has more coffee and then he'll ring me and I'll come down for half an hour and we'll search something out and then we'll just laze about all day. And <laughs> if you only knew. Have you seen him sometimes? If you had saw him on Saturday out that back, plumbing, he's not a plumber. He hasn't got any certificate. No health and safety in here. Oh, it's Lois, sorry about that. <laughs> Lois is our health and safety czar in here, and she keeps us right. But there he was, plumbing. Today he's singing, he's ministering in song. Tomorrow he'll be doing a website or whatever he may be doing. All practical stuff that needs to be done. And if he didn't do it, now I think that you think he does everything, so you leave everything for him. Ach, Johnny will put it away. Ach, Johnny will brush that up. Ach, Johnny will sort that out. Johnny has enough things to do, let me tell you. So you put it away for a change. All right, Johnny, say amen to that. <laughs> but there's just so many little practical things that you can do that would be a great help. So you may not be a singer, you may never be in this pulpit, you may never be in this platform, you may never do a drama, but there's something you can do for the kingdom of God that's just practical. What about your love? Have you got any love to give away tonight? It's amazing the difference a little bit of love can make. If somebody thinks that you care and that you love them and you appreciate them. What if there had been no Barnabas to welcome Saul of Tarsus into the church? <laughs> you know, the church didn't want him. He got saved and they still didn't want him. They didn't believe it for a start. Didn't believe it. This is the man who saw Stephen stoned to death and was a witness to that. This is the man who went as far as Damascus to put Christians in prison. And so when he got saved, apart from Ananias, who didn't even want to go, until God spoke to him and says, you go. It's my servant, you go. Church didn't want to believe it. But Barnabas believed him. Barnabas stood for him. Because Barnabas loved him. Barnabas realized this man's life has changed. He's my brother and I love him. And I'm going to stand up for him. What if there had been no Jonathan to defend and befriend David? What a friendship that was. What if there had been no Jonathan? Had it been up to Saul, he'd have been dead because Saul tried to kill him on at least two occasions. Was hell bent on killing him. So what if there had been no Jonathan? But Jonathan loved him. Loved him. What if there had been no forgiving father 
to welcome back the prodigal. Hmm? No forgiving father. What if there just had been the elder brother? What a difference that would have made to that story in the Bible, huh? But there was a forgiving father. And he did love his erring son. And he did welcome him back. What if there had been no Joseph to love his brethren enough to save them? Rather than despise them for what they had done to him. Love can make a difference. Just a little bit of love shown can make all the difference in the world. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. So what's your little fire tonight? What is it you look at within yourself and say, I don't have much of that. But you've got some of it. It may not be much, but you've got some to give and to share and to reach out with. And believe me, it will make all the difference in the world to that person or to this church or to your neighbor or to that family member or whoever. So behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. It's just a little scripture, but it's nice, isn't it? Sometime when you're reading the Word of God, God will give you a little scripture that will just set a fire going in your heart. Just a wee word, as we say. It's great when you get a wee word from the Bible, isn't it? You feel so happy and excited about it, you want to tell somebody. The Lord gave me a wee word today in the Bible. Boy, that kindles something in your heart, doesn't it? Let's pray.